me read to you our theme verse over these uh, four weeks. We began last Sunday and we're going on into uh, actually to the 9th of September. And this is our way the theme verse, Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. This verse encapsulates four themes that some of you selected asking me to preach on this summer. The reality of death, the reality of judgment, the reality of the second coming of Christ, and the reality of this salvation or eternal reward which God has for us. And uh, this, these themes are, if you grasp these themes, they are life-changing. So powerful to, to grasp the realities that, that God gives us in His Word. And so we're going to look this morning, once again this morning, at the reality of death. What happens one minute after you die? I don't know if you've ever been to the airport, but you've maybe had this experience where you go with someone that you care about and you go with someone that you love. And you go into the airport and they're, maybe they've been visiting and, and they're heading back home. And you've enjoyed this time together and you walk into the airport and you're already feeling like it's going to be time to leave and you, you sit down and you visit and you go to some shops and maybe have some food. And then you come to that dreaded point called security. And there, you realize at that point, you are no longer going to be able to go with them. But they will go through those lines. You will watch them from a distance to hope they get through okay. And, and then they disappear. And you know they're heading home, but you can't see what goes on beyond that point. Death is, in many ways, like that security point. People have different views as to what happens following that point in time. I'll mention just a few of them. There's the atheistic view, which basically says there's, there's no afterlife, there's, there's nothing else, there's nothing eternal. When it's over, it's over. Christopher Hitchens, who's, who was one of the uh, well-known atheists who recently died, <coughs> talks about life as we're like a meteor. You, know, you light up, you go across the sky, you burn out, and it's over. We are nothing more than just the result of impersonal matter and energy. And out of this internal or impersonal matter and energy with, with no intelligence and no design and no creative purpose, just happened into being, everything there is. And so when you and I die, you're nothing more than a tadpole which grows into a frog and at some point gets eaten by a snake. Or like a blade of grass which grows up in the morning and a few days later withers away. There is the pantheistic view, which are Eastern religions or New Age, and that's they believe in a reincarnation. Now, you've probably been reincarnated many, many times. And if you live well enough, eventually you will get to the point 
where you become one with God, like a drop from the ocean, you will again be dropped back into the ocean. You'll lose all your individuality and you'll become a part of God once again. Pantheistic type view of life after death. There's the animistic view, which is a lot of your tribal religions. and They believe that the soul just kind of wanders around. Some on the earth, many in the underworld, there's really no sorrow, there's really no joy. You may be called up to either aid or to torment other human beings upon the earth. Animistic view of what happens after we die. And then there's the Islamic view. At the end of history, your works will be weighed as if in a balance. And if you have more good works than bad works, you get to go to paradise. You're a man, you get wine and all of the maiden uh, virgins. That's you. We've heard about that on the news. Uh, I, I, you know, you never hear much about what the women get. And uh, but I, I looked that up this week, and they they also they they are promised they will be more beautiful than the virgin maidens. That's interesting. They also have will have a choice there if they want to take back their old spouse or get a new one. So that might be of encouragement to some women. I don't know. But you get the idea of the view there from the Islamic perspective. So what does Christianity teach about you know, what, what happens at, at this point in time? Last week I talked about the fact that we do not get our information from the dead. The Bible prohibits us from, from pursuing uh, what, what, those who have died. This would be called channeling, where people go through a medium. Bible strictly prohibits that and makes it very clear. Once people have died and gone on, they do not come back and speak to us. We have a couple of exceptions where God actually brought that person back to speak. We see on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Moses and Elijah. We see a, a place in which Samuel was brought to Saul. But there is no uh, medium speaking on behalf of the dead. That is a demonic activity which does, by the way, take place. Reincarnation is not our information source. And even after-death experiences, although I believe many are valid, and we looked at some of them in the scripture that had happened, you have to be very careful that you always line them up with scripture. So if someone goes, uh, someone has a near death, and they come back and they say, you know, I talked with Jesus and I was in heaven, and I found out that all religions will be there in the end. You can be sure that that is demonic activity involved. Any experience that would lead you contrary to what the Scripture clearly teaches would, would not be of God. And so we go to the Word of God to find out what happens after you die. So let's take a... We're going to walk through that a little bit. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. I'm going to give you some terms here that hopefully will clarify a little bit. There are some differences of opinion on exactly what happens. And so... <clears throat> I'm not going to claim to say that everything I have to say is gospel truth, but I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches on that. And you can look further into that for yourself if you'd like to. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, the word that is used for where people go after they die is this word, sheol. Now, if you have an ESV version or English Standard Version or one of the American Standard Versions, this is the word that you'll find all the way through the Old Testament. 
where people, what happens when people die? They end up in Sheol. The NIV, which many of you have, interprets that word in, in these different words. It may say grave, or it may say hell, or it may say the pit. But when you see those different words, it is translating all from this word, Sheol. The word you see up on the screen is the word that is used throughout the Old Testament. Why that's important is because, you know, if you say, if you hear the word interpreted grave, you may think of just that little hole in the ground. And when the word grave is used in the mind of the Old Testament Hebrew, he was thinking of the place you go when you die, not just your body, but your soul. And so Sheol is literally the place of the death. It is the place of the death. And in the Old Testament, this is the place where people go when they die, those of faith and those who the Bible would call the wicked. Everyone goes to Sheol. No one goes to heaven in the Old Testament. You will not read that kind of verbiage going on through the Old Testament. We'll come back and, and look at why that is. Just a couple of verses. Psalm 9:17. It says, The wicked return to, NIV says the grave. This is Sheol. All nations that forget God. So all the wicked go to Sheol. Job 14:13. If only you would hide me in, again, the NIV says, in the grave. The word there is, if only you would hide me in Sheol and conceal me till your anger is past. So Job is saying, you know, if I could just go to this place where I would be protected. And so it seems to be a place where both good and evil people go, where everybody goes when they die. And it seems to be apparently for some a negative place and for others a positive place. Now, when we move into the New Testament, the Greek word for Sheol now is Hades. You've probably heard that word. Hades is the word. This is the equivalent to the Old Testament word Sheol, which again is the place of the dead. Now, in, in Luke chapter 16, we have a story, and I, I'd like to just read that because it, it talks about, Jesus is talking about a scene and it gives us some real insight into what the perception of what happens after you die was in the day of Christ. Luke 16 and verse 19, Jesus tells a story. I'd just like to read three verses there. It says, Now there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from here to us. And so, 
perception here is that there is a, a region in this place of Sheol or Hades for a, a region for those who have not been people of God and people of faith, those who have lived evil lives, and, and then those who are gods. And so that seems to be the distinction that we have. In the New Testament, again, Hades is the place of the death of the dead, and the word hell that Jesus talked about is a different word. That is the word Gehenna. Gehenna was actually literally a place outside Jerusalem. It was a garbage dump where everybody brought their garbage and it burned day and night, uh, 365 days a year. And so Jesus, when he talked, he used that as a metaphor and he said, you know, you don't need to worry about those who can, who can kill your body, but you need to worry about those who can cast your soul into Gehenna into this refuge, into the place of eternal fire and burning. And so in the New Testament, we have both Hades and we have the place called hell. And so what we find in the very end of time, Revelation 20, verses 13 and 14, we find these verses that read like this. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death... And Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he'd done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So in essence, Hades is at one point, this place is eventually thrown into what we would call the future place of hell. So people apart from Christ are literally not in hell at this point in time. They are in this place of the dead called Hades. So where does heaven come in? Heaven is the place of God. It's a place where his angels are. It is where Christ is. And it seems that in the Bible, in the New Testament, it is the place where God's people are. So, so when and how did that happen? I believe that that happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me just share a verse from John 3, verse 13. It says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So up until this point in time in John 3, we find that no one has been to heaven except the son of man Jesus Christ he was the first fruits of all who would eventually join him so let's put this together what happens when we die you take your last breath you take your last breath and at that point I personally believe and this is my personal belief there's nowhere that it absolutely states this in the Bible but there are many examples I believe that when when I die, when you die, there will be an angel or a being from God. Maybe it's an angel that was assigned to you all your life, but it will be a spiritual being, I believe, that will be there to escort you to this place where Christ is, which is in heaven. You say, where do you get that? Well, in, in Luke 16, 22, what I just read earlier, it says that angels carried Lazarus' body to the place it was going. So we see there angels involved in transporting that 
we see uh, in, in Hebrews 1.14, we read that it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I just think it's really a neat thought to think about the fact that all of the angelic beings were meant to serve you. That's what it says. It says they were meant to serve those who will inherit salvation. And so at that time of death, which is such you know, an important time, I believe you will never be alone. And I believe from that moment you take your last breath, you will be in the presence of someone that God has sent, a being which will escort you. Uh, I shared this before when my father died. The night he died, my sister had a visitation from the Spirit. The Spirit uh, spoke to her and said that your father is with me. We are leaving now. And he is wanting to just say goodbye. And that was an experience she had. I, I really believe that God has spirits that escort us to that place. I believe at that moment of death, your spirit will be more alive than it's ever been. And it's interesting that people have had near-death experiences. They say their senses are so incredibly acute. You know, as we get older, our senses lessen all the way along. We can we can't see as well, we can't hear as well, we can't taste as well. And I think in that moment our senses will be so acute that we will see and hear and smell things in, in a way that we have never done so before. And we will be taken into the presence of God and the presence of other believers who've gone on before us, or we will be taken out of the presence of God to the place in Hades, the place of the dead, reserved for those who are awaiting the judgment in the end of time. Now, there are people that believe in what we call soul sleep. They believe that when you die, you're not aware of anything until Christ returns, and then you'll be awakened. Jehovah Witnesses believe that. Seventh-day Adventists believe that. There are others that believe that. I do not believe the Scriptures teach that. There are those who believe in a place called purgatory. And I do not believe as well that the Scripture gives any, any good basis for such concept as that. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, you know, it's better for me to stay here, but it'd be much better for me to die because to die means to be with the Lord. Paul didn't say to die means I'll be asleep. He said, to die means I'll be with the Lord. We see the thief on the cross. Jesus says, today, I tell you, today, you shall be with me today in, in paradise. We see Moses and Elijah came and appeared at the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, did, did, they, did they get woken up for that trip? That's what you have to say if you believe that they were in soul sleep once they died. Even Stephen, right as he died, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. We will be with God. I believe we will be with the hosts and the angels in heaven. And I believe that we will be there with, with some, and there's another question, with some kind of body. Uh, you know, people go say, well, if, if we're not resurrected till Christ returns and we're, our soul just goes there, then... then we're just kind of like spirits. We don't have any form or shape. And so how could people recognize other people? 
Well, we don't know the answer to that question for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. I tend to believe that either our soul takes on a form or God gives us a temporary uh, dwelling to be in. We see in, in Revelation 7 and verse 9, John sees into heaven. He says, I saw a great multitude no one could count. He evidently was seeing people there. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, crying out, salvation belongs to God. So, you know, when John had this vision into heaven, he saw the people there with, with bodies, and, and they were worshiping God. And so I, I really believe that we will either have some kind of intermediary body or that our, our soul is able to take on a form of such. And it is there with the Lord that we will be worshiping the Lord. We will be fellowshipping with others who've gone on before us. We will await our loved ones who are yet to come. And it is here that we will await the return of Christ to earth. And following that, we will have our, our new bodies like that of Christ's resurrected body. We're going to talk in the coming weeks a little bit more about we'll be looking at the second coming and then we'll be looking at the judgment and uh, those are very powerful truths. So this morning, what's, what's the importance of this for you and I? Let me just take our last moments here and just talk a little bit about this. Our culture lives in a denial of the reality of death more than previous generations. I think previous generations uh, lived in a much greater awareness of, of death. You know, it was not that long ago, the turn of the century, I was just looking back at some of the statistics, one in every ten children that was born, one in every ten under the age of, was, had died by the age of one. One in every 100 moms died in childbirth. And so nobody took life for granted. It was very probable, you know, very probable that if, if you had four or five children, that one of them by the age of five would not be around. And when people die, their, they, their, their bodies were in the home for several days. You woke up and that person's body was there. People came and and, and visited from the neighborhood, and the reality of death was, was very real. In our day, we have advanced in technology. We have almost this feeling like if something's wrong, we can fix it. I was thinking of my grandson who had an insect bite and, and started to get more bigger and bigger, and it looked like it was eating away skin. We took him in, and he had a, a bad staph infection going on. You know, if he'd lived 100 years ago, my grandson would probably be gone. And so that reality, which is a real part of life, no matter how old we are, is something that we begin to lose touch with. And it affects how we live. Life has been hard in the past. It was harder than it is now. There were places where there were no hospitals. People died. They put cemeteries right outside the windows of churches. In New England, they had the cemeteries in line with the windows. They did not have stained glass windows, and the reason they did that was they wanted the preacher, every time he got up to the pulpit, to see the cemetery. 
because it impacted how he preached. If we're not living with the reality of death, we're not living the way we need to live. Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to these words in chapter 7. I'd like to read verses 1 through 4. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is a destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the, har- is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a feast. It's better to celebrate your death day than to celebrate your birthday. Here we go. That doesn't make sense to us. And yet, there is something very important about staying in touch. What the writer is saying here is that the implications of your death day are much greater than your birthday. Uh, what you will understand about life and the wisdom you gain and perspective will be much greater attending a funeral than attending a party. So we need to live in that reality. I remember when I, early on, when I came to, to Bethany here, and a number of you remember this, in a, over a period of between six and nine months, we had three funerals in this church. And we lost every handicapped person in our church. We lost a six-year-old Down syndrome little girl named Rebecca. We lost a 17-year-old uh, mentally and physically handicapped uh, girl named Kristen. And we lost an 85-year-old woman named Emily died right in the foyer. Right where she wanted to be with her church family. And I remember that time. I remember the, the first funeral and then, and, then, and then the second one. And by the third one, we had been living as a church. We had been living in the reality of either, you know, of this, of this process of, of death. And certainly the grief that goes along with that but at the same time, I still remember back at that time, my, my perspective on, on life was, was very different. And it kind of forced us to, to let go of, of things of this earth because we had been so focused on grasping the realities of what happens when we die. And that's an important truth to maintain as, as you and I live out our lives here upon this earth. Father, this morning we have looked at this truth of what happens the moment we die. Well, there are many people today that, that are only guessing. There are many people today that refuse to even think about that because 
the unknown is, is, is too difficult for them. Father, in your grace and in your love, you have given us so much insight into what happens when we die. Father, we do not need to fear death. In fact, Father, in, in some strange way, we can celebrate death, the day of our death, in even a greater way than the day of our birth. Because, Father, it is that, it is that day when we walk through security and we demonstrate our passport and we show our citizenship which is in heaven and we get on that plane and we head to the place that you have prepared for us. Father, we leave a foreign land and we go to the place for which we ultimately were made. So Father, as your people, help us to live in these amazing truths. Lord, give us your wisdom and insight that we may know how to live out our days and how to prioritize our lives. Father, this morning we would pray for anyone in this place who has sat through this message and the reality of your word that we will die, that at that moment in time we will either be with you or we will be in a place of waiting for judgment, that we will be in Hades. Father, you have in your great love made provision through the gospel that as we confess our sin and as we believe in the work of Jesus Christ on that cross and as we invite you into our lives that you redeem us and you forgive us and you save us and as it says in the book of Revelation that our names are written in the book of life. Father, may anyone here today who has not made that decision for you, Father, may they open up their hearts today and receive you and this marvelous grace in their lives. Father, we thank you for your provision for us today. We pray this in Jesus.